Welcome to the Not Old Better Show. I'm Paul Vogelzang, and today's show is wonderful and important at the same time. As part of our Lemonada Media series, we're introducing a new show, No One is Coming to Save Us from Lemonada Media. Our guest today, Gloria Rivera, the ABC News correspondent, is host of No One is Coming to Save Us. No One is Coming to Save Us is a limited four-part series on the important topic of child care in the United States of America today. The United States has long failed families when it comes to child care, as many in our Not Old Better Show audience know well. It takes a village, as Hillary Clinton says, but even with multi-generational families in place, the COVID-19 upending of our broken child care system took things to an emergency crisis level for parents, grandparents, and child care providers alike. Access to high-quality child care and early education determines so much of a kid's future and their family's sanity. Laugh, cry, be outraged, and hear solutions in this four-part series that explains why child care is broken and how we can fix it. No one is coming to save us. We need to save ourselves. Let's listen as host Gloria Riviera, who has reported from war zones, shares an emotionally charged moment, and the compassion you'll hear from Gloria Riviera on this subject is palpable. As Gloria Riviera describes her life as a reporter and what this issue means to her, trusting her child care with those who would give their lives. It's just that important. Gloria Riviera says we're all looking for someone somewhere you trust with your child's life. That's child care today. You know, maybe it sounds kind of extreme to compare figuring out child care to battle, but as someone with three children who has reported in literal war zones, I can tell you, no, they're not exact comparisons. Both scenarios have purpose and both can feel like you have totally lost control. I'm Gloria Riviera. I'm a reporter. Um, You might have seen me on TV. For most of my career, I've traveled around the world for network news, covering, among other things, wars, natural disasters, and confounding events like a commercial jetliner vanishing in Asia. But I've never cried on TV, even though I've covered hellish things, and I did not expect to... I did not expect to be so affected by that, but what I hear is being there again. I remember when I went back to work after my first son was born, and I mean, it was, yeah, it was just a nightmare Um, because the expectations had not changed on me. I could get a call at any time, and a big part of me wanted these calls, like assignment calls, you know, which meant you have to leave tonight or, you know, if if I was lucky, early the next morning. And we don't know how long you'll be gone and we don't know when you're coming back. Um, try telling that to a three-year-old. And I recently asked my 12-year-old son, he's 12 now, you know, what do you remember about that time? And he said with a straight face and right away, I remember you were constantly leaving. Oh, God. (laughs) You know, I never knew that that's what he remembered, that he didn't remember the coming home. You know, I have all these memories of coming home. Um, But he remembered the leaving. I remember the night before I would leave for a trip, my kids would ask to sleep with me. And to be honest, you know, we did that a lot. But before I was leaving, 
they would snuggle up next to me like little boy Velcro. They'd just right up next to me. I would never sleep well because they would clutch at me, you know, like tight little fists on my t-shirt. And I'd say like, it's okay, I'm here. And I, I really can't believe that the next day I would just, I would get up and go. I mean, like who does that? <laughs> you know who does that? Working parents. I was not a monster for wanting to work hard and be an amazing mother to my children. But in order to do my job, I needed childcare. I needed somewhere, someone to look after my kids who I trusted with their lives. It it sounds like it's way too much to ask, but isn't it what we're all looking for? Somewhere, someone you trust with your child's life. But here's the thing they don't tell you in parent school, which doesn't exist, but definitely should. That is a very, very hard thing to come by. It's hard to find great childcare. And once you do that, it's hard to get in. And once you do that, it's hard to afford it. And I couldn't stop thinking about this in light of my own struggles with little boy Velcro. Back home in the U.S., I kept seeing parents everywhere in the middle of the workday. And I wanted to sort of sidle up to them and ask, how are you doing this? Was it a choice? Did you want to stay home? Are you heading to work after this? And and when you do, who's going to watch that little person next to you? But I never did because we don't talk about this. There's some unspoken agreement to put on this invisible armor, suffer in silence and just get through it. So I followed the rules. I stayed in my lane. I kept working. I had a third baby. But my heart kept breaking in the same way that every working parent's heart breaks. And I started to get this outragey feeling that any reporter gets when you know there's a big story there, that something just isn't right, that it shouldn't be like this. The whole way we do childcare in this country felt very broken. And then the pandemic hit, and what was hard became impossible. That, of course, is our guest today, Gloria Riviera, talking about her life, the issue of childcare, and her new series, No One Is Coming to Save Us. Childcare is not an exact comparison to a war zone, but the toll taken on families is real, and Gloria Riviera, along with special correspondent and actor Kristen Bell, together they cover childcare issues, but do so in an uplifting manner. As Gloria Riviera says, and then the pandemic hit, and what was just hard became impossible. It's true. Last year, everyone's life fell apart, at least a little. If you were a woman, particularly a woman with children at home, your life likely fell apart a lot more. This spring, the Census Bureau estimated that 1.5 million American mothers have yet to return to the workforce with women of color affected disproportionately. The American child care crisis, the subject of no one is coming to save us, seems insoluble, but no one is coming to save us offers some great solutions. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show via internet phone, Gloria Riviera. Gloria Riviera, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I just have to say I'm so delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to talk to you, too, and I hope your family's well, everybody making it through, you know, 
post kind of COVID? I think we can call it that now. Is that appropriate? Yeah, I, mean, I think we're getting there. The getting family there. is doing better than the laundry pile. That, that, that is what I can say. <laughs> I'm the laundry guy in our family, so I keep that laundry. I am fanatical about the laundry in our family. That is impressive. I <laughs> Thank you. talk to my partner about that. Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I, I am a fan of... Um, the uh, all of the wonderful downy scents and all of that stuff. So yep. I I can I can just uh, vouch for all those good things. Well, <laughs> we are going to talk about other things in laundry today. I know you are very busy, and of course, you are the host of No One Is Coming to Save Us. It is a wonderful podcast from Lemonada Media, and you're fantastic on it. I want to talk to you about the first episode because Sarah Muncie, who is a partner from Neighborhood Villages. She's involved with the podcast. She also speaks in this first episode. She begins the first first episode by asking a question that really all parents, I'm a parent, um, you know, we just, we confront these realities of childcare. And, and, and she says, Sarah Muncy says, is this what it's going to be like? So tell us, what do, what do, you, what do you think she means by that? Like, I'm sure you have an insight into it. Yeah. I mean, I really credit, I take my hat off to Sarah, because when she asked that question, is this what it is going to be like? She was recalling her own days as a new mom with a toddler and a baby. And she went through this laundry list, not an actual laundry list, but this to-do list (laughs) of her day. And it was so packed. And you could kind of imagine her brain churning through everything that she had to do. And as you know, With children, all of a sudden, the to-do list takes on such an urgency, whether that's self-inflicted pressure as a parent, we've got to do this, we've got to do this. I remember one of the things Sarah Muncie mentions is she's got to change out the nap mat because her daughter had peed on it and and the daycare sent it home. And, you know, she just was overwhelmed one morning with everything that she had to do in addition to a big job as an administrator at a middle school. And she felt like, are we just here to sort of grab that great photo that you then immediately post on social media with sort of a, (laughs) you know, a witty caption as if that image is representative of what life as as a new parent is. And it just isn't. And when I heard her talk about that, it really triggered a vulnerability and memories in me of just how hard that that chapter, she calls it the rush hour chapter of our lives, how how it had been for me. Yeah, well, and, and also in that first episode, you, you're very passionate about this subject, and um, and that comes out in that first episode. We, we hear you uh, talk about this in, in a way that it, it's very personal to you and your family. So what, what is the subject of child care, which no one is coming to save us, really is all about the subject of child care? What does it mean to you and your family? Well, through this podcast, I think I learned that it, it means I didn't have any help. And I remember a production meeting with the founders of Lemonada Media, Stephanie Whittles-Wax and Jessica Cordova-Kramer. And I think it was Stephanie. It was a meeting that she was attending. And we would have these moments when we were joking, but not really joking. And we were sort of laughing about what you need during those early years is someone to hold the baby. It's like you get to this point, you're like, could somebody just come over and hold the baby, please? I just need, and you know, we have these baby showers in the United States and we get all of these adorable 
things if we're lucky and they're, they're cute and sweet. And then the baby arrives and there's nobody to hold the baby. And when I was with my two young sons, we now have a third, but I remember being out in public with them and seeing other parents with young children. And I wanted to sidle up next to them and sort of whisper like, how are you doing this? You know, like, how is this all working for you? You know, the bubble above my head said, you know, cause it's not really working for me. And by not really working for me, I mean, when I did go back to work, the expectations had not changed. So not only did I not have, you know, a sort of, I was not embraced as a new mother in my identity as a new parent. But when I returned to the workforce, which for many other reasons brought me a lot of positivity, you know, a lot of confidence, a lot of satisfaction, you know, nothing, there was no connection between how my life had changed and now I I was a parent and what was asked of me. So I heard about this show and I, I have never reacted to this an idea like I reacted to this one. It was sort of this combination of, you know, to be very honest with you, well, I'll tell you the good part first, you know, get out of my way. I need to do this. You can only hire me. I am the only one that is ready and has the energy and the, and the sort of the fight and the pluck to tell this story combined with, you know, a real, um, you know, a fear because we don't talk about this story. We don't know. No, there are no parents walking up to other parents in the grocery store asking how they're making it all work because we're just expected to get on with it. And I've lived um, abroad throughout my career as a journalist with ABC News. I've seen how it works in other countries. I did a story on uh, parental leave in Sweden, which is just, you know, shocked me because it's equal between almost equal between men and women there. So I knew there was a good story. I sort of sniffed it out. I just had that feeling like this is a good story and I want to do it. But I'm, not, I'm also a little bit terrified to do it, but ho- hopefully everything's turned out. Okay. <laughs> well, it's a great show. Um, I've, I've listened to more than just the first episode and that one, that one really struck me and, and it is wonderful. I just, I really recommend it highly to, to my audience. This subject, parental leave, the subject of child care, it, it's been with us for a while, but certainly COVID has taken its toll on women and moms in particular. And so is that what, one of the other reasons, you know, why this show now, I suppose, is the question I'm really getting at here. Yeah. I mean, COVID, as the New York Times put it, you know, it was this p- collective primal scream from parents from all different socioeconomic backgrounds, from all different walks of life. And everyone was just at their breaking point. And it wasn't working. We've had nearly 2 million women during COVID, primarily women, leave the workforce because they could not make it work. And I say that COVID has put our childcare crisis in technicolor. We've always had a childcare crisis. And going through episode two is when we look at the history and how it came to be. And it looks at black and brown parents and how the path for them has been very different from other white parents primarily. And it looks at what the military has done. They've had an evolution in what they provide for enlisted members of the armed services. So I feel like COVID has brought it to the forefront. We're in a fortunate position in which we have an administration now that is willing to invest dollars. 
at the end of this show, I, I have to tell you, I, I am now on the side where, A, I'm a child care voter. I want to know anybody that goes into office, how do they feel about child care? And then B, I'm really focused on the numbers because throughout the show, what we learned is that it takes investment. It takes investment from the government. In the States, only 4% of companies provide any kind of subsidized child care for children between the ages of zero to five. So, you know, the majority of the, the pressure parents feel is that we're just supposed to make it all work without anyone to hold the baby ever. And and holding the baby is not just holding the baby, by the way. The, the science that neighborhood villages, Lauren Kennedy, the founder, and Sarah Muncie, who we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, you know, they were pivotal in the creation of this because they kept bringing us back to the science, right? And it makes sense. You know, young children have spongy brains that absorb everything. And Sarah, in her job as a middle school administrator, would see 10-year-olds, and she said to us, 10 is too late. It's too late to make an impact if you're really you know, dealing with, with issues that could have been addressed between the ages of zero to five. We are with Gloria Riviera. Gloria Riviera is an ABC News correspondent, award-winning journalist and host of the new show, No One is Coming to Save Us from Lemonada Media. Really an excellent show. Lots of, so much relevance, and I think, for this time. Let, let's, let, me, let me talk to you for just a second, Gloria Riviera, about the science, about the social science and, and the impact. Mm-hmm. How, how is the lack of quality, affordable child care creating this achievement gap that really can last a lifetime for, for anyone who doesn't have that adequate level of childcare? Right. It's one of those questions that's such a good question because I didn't know the answer to it when I started this show. I'll give you just one thing I learned. For every $1 that you invest in early childcare, the data shows you will see a $13 return on that investment. Now, what does that $13 mean? If you're not a finance person or not a social economist, uh, it, it might not immediately resonate. It didn't for me. And I'm a journalist. So I, I asked that question, what does that $13 return? What does that mean? What does that look like? And what it looks like is children who get high quality. And when I say high quality, I'm talking about what the military offers, what companies like Patagonia offer. You know, we're talking about early educators that choose that as a career. So you're getting high quality teachers in a diverse environment in which you're learning social emotional skills, how to navigate growing up from age zero to five, you're just getting all this great stuff. Now that $13 investment to go back to that, you see in children who receive good care early on, higher high school graduation rates, a higher percentage of children, young adults who go on to college. What does that translate to? More people in the workforce doing, guess what? Oh, paying taxes. So it's this long approach to where we will see the return. Patagonia is a great example because they started this in the 80s when um, Marie Chenard, the co-founder's partner, uh, was going to work, bringing her children, found it very difficult, started this great uh, child care program at Patagonia that's available to many, many, not all, but many of their employees. And I think they started, I think the numbers were you know, above 50%, but not great in terms of women who were not coming back to work after they had a child. Um, and in many cases, sometimes the man as well or the partner. Um, now, today, 2021, they have a 100% return on employees who come back to their jobs after they have children. 
I mean, that, that is incredible. And they look at, okay, first of all, they get, um, they get subsidized by the government for 50% of what they put into the childcare program. I know I'm throwing a lot of numbers out there, but when I tallied it up and I am, I am not a numbers person, it made sense to me. Another example is Quebec. Um, Quebec in the, I think it was 1996, 97, we talked to an economist there. Quebec's program, they argue, pays for itself. In Quebec, it costs $8.50 a day to send your child to high quality childcare from the ages of zero to five, $8.50. So you can see all of those parents will be will be able, it's just the bandwidth. I mean, talk about holding the baby. Somebody is nurturing the baby, educating the baby. Um, I say in the show that what we're all really looking for is someone to take care of our children whom we trust with their lives, right? That's what it comes down to. Where am I going? Why do you think all these parents, when they do get off an endless wait list, it's the parents crying a lot when they drop off their kids, you know, and they're little itty bitty at a preschool or a, family child care center, you know, it's, it's the parents who are emotional about it. The kids very quickly, they're fine. <laughs> um, but if you, if you don't have that stress, uh, we talked to one sergeant in the military and I asked her, I said, so where is your head? She's a single mom. She has three children. She's at Camp Pendleton. I said, where is your head when you go to work? And she said, at my job, I I'm totally focused on my job because I'm not worried about my children. So that hit home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the line, someone somewhere that you trust with your child's life, that line hit home with me too. Mm. And, and not everyone has access to family nearby, but my audience of older adults can, can step in perhaps and provide some support. Hillary Clinton famously said, it takes a village. Yes. <laughs> How should my audience respond to this story and listen to the show and help overcome you know, some of this almost impossible subject, the pay rates are low, that hours are amazing. Parents yeah. do have their uh, their attention focused elsewhere. It's a really difficult issue. But family, grandparents, perhaps, maybe they can come to save us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I will accept help from anyone. And absolutely. <laughs> right. I mean, I my own personal history with this is interesting, because on my mother's side, they live uh, a, a big group of my cousins and aunts and uncles live in Idaho and they live next door to each mm -hmm. other and they have all, you know, three sisters, you know, a, a mother, that family un unit, everybody takes care of mm -hmm. everyone. And we see that all around the world. Frankly, in this podcast, we hear about the Ivory Coast. Um, so let me organize my thoughts. The first thing I'll tell you is that I mentioned to our team during a writing, you know, production meeting uh, that my own mother, who is 79 years old, mm -hmm. When she was 19, she had my sister and she, her husband was uh, pursuing a degree. They were in Washington state and she decided she dropped out of college because she had my sister and they got married, but she wanted to pursue a degree, a, a career, sorry, in finance. So she went out and started knocking on doors. Hmm. She said, you know, we didn't have Google, Google a babysitter. I don't think so. <laughs> And we always remember that story, you know, and I really respect her pluck and her resourcefulness. But as I did this show, I was asking, why was she put in that position? Why was she in that position where she just thought, well, I better start knocking on some doors. And so that's, I think, for your audience specifically, mm -hmm. I hope that that they think back to how it was for them and what kind of care 
and help they had. It is wonderful. Listen, I am very envious or I, I acknowledge how wonderful it is for my friends who do have consistent care from their from grandma, from grandpa, from aunts and uncles, whomever it is. Uh, that is amazing. Uh, we talked to one woman who's a teacher at Ellis. She's wonderful. Kaya, and she is this early educator. Her mother was in early education. She has been teaching at Ellis for a long time. That's the school in Boston that Neighborhood Villages mm-hmm. set us up with to take a tight look at. She, When COVID hit, her grandmother was watching her daughter, Kamaya. Mm-hmm. But that just wasn't a long-term mm-hmm. solution. She wasn't, actually it was COVID that made her grandmother nervous. And she's like, I just don't know if I can do this. I mean, we all, I think we it's like immediate blackout of COVID, but we all remember when, who knew, right? Mm-hmm. Like who knew, who gave it to who, how it was transmitted. So here's Kaya, you know, she's hoping Ellis is about to open and she has no childcare for her daughter, who by the way, she enrolled her at Ellis but because she makes so little, she was unable to keep her daughter there. So I think that if I were a grandparent listening to this and I was able in any way, shape or form, and my mother lives, my she's the only living grandparent mm-hmm. my children have. She's across the country. So, mm-hmm. you know, she's not able to be there. So I think mm-hmm. it divides into who's able to be there. How available are you? You know, literally, if you're able to go over and hold the baby for an hour, mm-hmm. that's a big help. Yeah, lots of potential solutions. It does take a village, but that village can be made up of um, policy, good policy around this subject. It can be made up of extended family. Yeah. And I think I think there are potential there, but but yeah, one of the policy issues is probably one of the biggest things that needs to be addressed. The, the show is phenomenal. It, again, the title is No One is Coming to Save Us. The subject is just a just an important one today. And you've heard from Gloria Rivera talking about this. I, ha- I just have one final question for you. I can't, I can't leave you without, without mentioning actor Kristen Bell, who's a special correspondent for the show. I think that's, that's oh, just yes. awesome. She's a very famous mom, of course. What kind of things can we expect from her influence, her sensibility, and her sense of humor, too? <laughs> General awesomeness. <laughs> I mean, she's so awesome. First of all, I get so much cred in my house because not <laughs> only does she play Anna in Frozen, <laughs> She's also in The Good Place, mm-hmm. and she's an activist. Mm-hmm. We were just, I mean, it was the, the, a very fun moment when it was announced in our production meeting that she would be participating mm-hmm. because she brings smarts with this amazing sense of humor. I mean, one of Lemonada's missions is to talk about the hard things, but in a way that might make you smile, even though, as you've said, this is a, a an issue that seems, you know, unapproachable because mm-hmm. the to-do list is so long. Kristen appears in every episode and we have this great idea, and this might resonate with your audience as well. We just got lucky because we were profiling a father and his toddler who is obsessed with the song Love is an Open Door in the movie Frozen. Mm-hmm talks about it all the time and we were wondering how do we craft her contribution to each episode and the idea emerged that she should address someone in each episode so she actually in the first episode talks to uh, (laughs) Liam who's like four or five he's a young kid you know and she's like by the way I sing that song so anyway (laughs) you know but she 
approaches everything with a good amount of humor and then she just gets into the weeds and has this incredible ability to crystallize the points that we really want made in each episode. I am so grateful she was a part of it. I'm still a little, people people ask me like, oh, did you and Kristen, like, did you write together? I'm like, no, we did not, <laughs> we did not write together, but I'm so involved, I'm so happy to be involved in a project with her. <laughs> well, the show is excellent. You and Kristen Bell are wonderful. Of course, we're talking to Gloria Riviera host of the new podcast from Lemonada Media, No One is Coming to Save Us. You're just doing some great work, Gloria Riviera. Thank you so much for your generous time today. Uh, Soldier on, and, you know, we'll just keep this issue at the forefront of certainly my audience and link to where people can get additional information about some of these metrics that you cite. But thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you. It's so important. It's so close to my heart. And You know, if you are a grandparent, a parent, if you know and care about children, I just, I, I, I plead with you to give it a listen. And if it, if it strikes a chord with you, uh, keep listening. Thank you so much. My thanks to Gloria Riviera, host of the new podcast from Lemonada Media, No One Is Coming to Save Us. Find out more about Gloria Riviera and the podcast she hosts, No One Is Coming to Save Us, at our website. My thanks to you, my wonderful Not Old Better Show audience. Please be safe, be vaccinated, and remember, let's talk about better, the Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody.